you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter one. And I'll begin to read in verse one. First Peter chapter one, verse one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bathynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ, for the sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept for you in heaven. Who's by who by God's power are being guarded through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you are grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you, have, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the, spirit, and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels look to long, long to look. Let's pray. Lord, I am. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of bringing your word today. And I thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy in our lives. I thank you, Lord, for those that are here, that I see here every week. They're here, Lord, because you've done a work in them, and I thank you for that, Lord. I pray, Lord, as we go through this passage, Lord, you will, you will edify us. The word will strengthen us. It'll motivate us. Just pray, Lord. May you be glorified 
in this message. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. I have seen and heard things this week that 20 years ago I think no one would have thought could have happened. There are our 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 culture has is is disintegrating. Um, children are being mutilated, and hospitals are bragging about it. A branch of the armed services is using a transgender to uh, recruit. Um, I I'm speechless at what I'm seeing. I heard someone the other day say, we're losing. And I'm here to tell you we're not losing. In fact, I'm here not to curse the darkness today. I know that, I know that it feels like we're losing. I'm here to bring you hope today. If you are in Christ... If you do not walk in darkness, but walk in the light, if you practice righteousness and you do not practice sin, I'm here to bring you hope. I'm here to lift your spirits. And I'm going to use the word of God to do it. I'm going to use this passage to do it. I want you to know, years ago, um, I, I went on a mission trip with my church and we went to Ecuador, and uh, we went into the jungle uh, for a while. Um, it was fascinating. We got to go and see this tribe that was so self-sufficient, and they let us go into their huts and just see how they live, and it was just amazing and uh, made me realize just how fragile we are, <laughs> and they aren't <laughs> uh, when it comes to the, what we depend on. Um, uh, but it was a, an amazing trip when we when we came out of the jungle. We went to a uh, it was a this, it was a small town on the edge of the jungle. It was a tourist town, and there was a tourist shop in there. And we went in there, and they had some nice things like crayons that were made from tree branches where it was hollowed out, and the crayon was it was pretty cool, like a Fred Flintstone crayon. You know, I bought some of those, and there were. There were other kinds of things, other trinkets, and our, our group uh, bought. But in the back, there were rows and rows of these birds. These birds, colorful birds. And I'm talking, there were rows and rows of them. And I don't know that anybody in our group bought one. In fact, we were, a group was getting ready to leave. And we were walking out the door, and the owner of the store stopped us and said, come here, I want to show you something. And she led us outside the building, up a staircase on the outside of the building to the second floor. We walked into the second floor, and the whole room, which was very big, uh, much bigger than this room, and it was all bare. It was concrete with pillars, and that's it. And there were people, like three people in, in three people groups, here and here and here and here. And one was whittling the wood and one another was sanding the wood and another was doing the detail on the wood and another was painting the wood and another was 
finishing the wood. And it was an assembly line of these birds. And I'm going to tell you, uh, just about every single one of us in that group went back down those stairs. We went back into that store and we purchased one of these birds. I know that my music minister has his on his desk to this very day. After we saw how they were made, we saw the value. Today, I want to show you your salvation. First, I want to show you the work of your salvation. I want you to see just how valuable it is. He starts out in verse 1. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then he says, to those who are elect exiles. To, uh, to those who are elect exiles. And I want you to focus on the word elect and also uh, exiles of the dispersion. So here are, here are people that are chosen. Those, the elect are ones that God has chosen before the foundation of the world to, to, re, to be saved, if you will. And they are dispersed right now. They are dispersed. Verse 2, I want you to focus on this word. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. So we have elect and sanctification. Basically, we have justification and sanctification. Sanctification is being, there's really two parts to sanctification. There is the sanctification that happens when you're justified. You are set apart, but sanctification doesn't stop there. It be, uh, throughout your life, you are sanctified. You are set apart for God's use, and he, he molds you, and he forms you into his son. It's called sanctification. I want to see, uh, so the, the question is, is how does that take place? And I want, you to, I want you to notice something before we even look at that question. I want you to notice that it is, it is according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ. For the sprinkling of his blood. Do you, I want you to see in your salvation, God gives his all. Every person of the Trinity is at work. The Father, the Spirit, and the Son. But I want us to look at this work of our salvation. Verse 3 I want you to see, it says, Blessed be God and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. According to his great mercy, he says, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. I want you to see who has caused us to be born again. Did we cause ourselves to be born again? No. It was God the Father who caused us to be born again to a living hope. And, it's, and it was according to his great mercy. Did we deserve this? No, we do not deserve this. But he had mercy on us even though we are filthy, rotten, low-down sinners. 
He had mercy and he caused us to be born again. And this reminds me of when Paul went to Philippi and he looked and he did, there's no synagogue. There wasn't enough of Jewish men to have a synagogue. So he goes to the river. That's where the Jews would meet. And he comes across a woman named Lydia. She was a, 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 a uh, uh, from the city of Thyatira. She was a seller of purple goods. And in Acts chapter 16, verse 14, she was a worshiper of God and the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. I think about that every time, that, that God opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. What was said by Paul? The gospel. The gospel. So he caused her to hear it. He caused her to hear it. I, I look at Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 4 where it says, But God being rich in mercy, there's that word mercy again, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in our trespasses. We could not please him. It's impossible for us to please him. We're dead. We can't do anything. And it says here that he made us alive together with Christ Jesus. God made us alive. He opened Lydia's heart. He made us alive. As a matter of fact, if you continue to read in Ephesians 2, you could go down to verse 10 and say, and hear this, for we are his workmanship. Who's we? That's Christians. We are his. Who is his? It's God's workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk into them. Do you see? God's working here. It's not, it's not us. God's doing the work here. In fact, this is not a, just a New Testament concept. This concept of God doing the work. We could go back to the days of uh, to the Old Testament and go to like the days of Jeremiah. Who, who if you know your Bible, is, uh, if you know the, the biblical history, you know that he was called the weeping prophet. Nobody wanted to hear what Jeremiah had to say. And when D Israel was deep, deep, Deep in sin, Jeremiah penned these words in Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, he says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on that day, on the day when I took them out of the hand, took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, he says, declares the Lord. I will put them on within, put my law within, their, within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So don't miss it. Who, who will do this? God will do this. The, Yahweh will do this. I will put my law within them. 
I will write it on their hearts. They will be my people, and they, sh- they I'm sorry, I, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is very, this is going to happen. There's no wiggle room. As a matter of fact, in Jeremiah 32, we continue to read verse 37. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries I, which, to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place. I will make them dwell safely and they shall be my people and I will be their God and I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make them with them an everlasting covenant and I will not turn away from doing good to them. I will put the fear of me in their hearts I, that they may not turn from me. Who's going to do this? God is going to do this and it's going to happen. So this is not new to the New Testament, this concept of God doing the work. We've probably mentioned this before in this pulpit, but in Philippians 1.29, Paul writing to those Christians at the church at Philippi, yes, the same one that Lydia was at. Basically, Lydia was the first member of that church. But in Philippians 1, 29, he's talking to Christians and he says, For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ. You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Belief is granted to Christians. It's granted to Christians. You, can, you don't get to say, well, at least I had the sense to believe. No, it was granted to you. We were so dead in our trespasses and sins. We, we, our nature was to reject God, but God granted us belief. And then we could go to Second Timothy chapter 2. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. He's talking about the qualifications of a pastor be be kind to everyone able to teach patiently enduring evil correcting his opponents with gentleness why god may perhaps grant them repentance did you hear that leading to the knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will do you understand that god grants repentance to lost sinners this is a work of God you don't get to say well at least I turn from my sin no God granted you that he granted you that and then we can go to Romans chapter 12 for by verse 3 for by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment according, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. That God has assigned? Do you understand that our, our belief, our repentance, even our faith, our gifts from our glorious God? 
No wonder Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace you've been saved through faith. Yep, he chose faith and he gave it to you. It's grace. You, it, you don't deserve it. And this is not of your own doing, but it, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's the work of God. Work of God that God has. So you're sitting here and you think we're losing, but I, you come every week, you're practicing righteousness, you're confessing your sin, all of that. God has done for you. It is precious. It is a precious thing that you're here. And it's because of God that you're here. Amen. Amen, brother. And I want you to go back to 1 Peter. He's caused us to be born again, it says, in verse 3. And then he says, to an inheritance, verse 4, that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, so this inheritance, you, it, it, no matter what you have here on earth, if God has caused you to be born again, he's granted you belief, he's granted repentance, he has assigned you faith. Here is a promise. And this, how, if, if we truly understand this, how could we not be excited about what's coming? There is an inherit. We've, he, he's, he's caused us to be born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, unfading, undefiled, and unfading right there. It's not going to perish. It's not, gonna, it's not like the bananas that are on my counter at this very moment that are brown and perishing. It's not like your loved one that's in the ground. It's not like the car in your driveway that is not as new as it used to be. This thing will never perish, this inheritance that's waiting for us. It's undefiled. It's not evil. It's a good thing. And it's unfading. It'll it just won't just fade away. It's an inheritance. We're rich. We're rich. And notice this. It is kept in heaven for you. How'd you like to try to steal that? Would you like to be the one to go steal the inheritance that God is keeping? Can't do it. Amen? Amen, brother. And then verse 5. Who, who, and that's us, the ones being that he caused to be born again, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So God has saved us. He's opened our eyes. I was 37, 38 years old. I was going the wrong way and God opened my eyes. I bet you could have similar stories. I was going the wrong way, but God opened my eyes. God, God came after me. And God's guarding us. 
That ought to make you so secure. He's guarding you through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11, we read this in a similar vein. In him we have obtained an inheritance. There's the inheritance again. Having been predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the Spirit, with, with the, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He sealed you with the Holy Spirit. Is this not good news? Because I don't know about you, but I wasn't even seeking God. No one seeks God. No one seeks God. And for some unexplainable reason, except that God is merciful and glory and is full of glory and full of love. You open my mind and my heart. You open your mind and your heart. And he caused you to be born again. And he's promised an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And he's keeping it for you in heaven. And he's guarding you through faith. That's sanctification. And he sealed you with the promised Holy Spirit. Everyone that gets saved, God puts his spirit in them. And that spirit produces fruit. And the fruit is the evidence that you're saved. And if you've got that spirit, it, you're sealed. You have eternal life. It's not will have. You have eternal life. And the spirit, it says there in Ephesians 1.14, the spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. My boy is looking to buy a car this week, and I told him when he goes to the dealership, they are not your friend, and they will lie to you. And their guarantees are not worth much. I thought for sure I'd get an amen out of that one. <laughs> I got a nod at least. It's true. Man will lie to you. Man will make guarantees they won't keep. But God, when he guarantees, you can take it to the bank. Amen. God says that you were sealed with the promised Spirit, Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. And it'll, God will be glorified when we get that inheritance, in other words. Why? Because he did the work. He did the work. And in case you're not convinced, you could read in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul says, I'm sure of this, he, that he who begun the good work in you, we already know who that is, that's God, right? He who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Who will bring it to a completion? He who bring who began the work in you. God will bring it to completion. Oh yeah, from our perspective, it, it looks like we're doing it. We think we're doing it. That we should get credit. But it's the word makes it clear. This is God working in you. 
God working in you. And if Philippians, in that same chapter, it says, I mean, in the same book in Philippians, but in a different chapter, chapter 2, verse 13, it says, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Are you listening to this? It is God who works in you. Both to will, to even your desires, even your desires are a work of God. When you desire to hear the word, when you desire to do good, when you desire to help the poor, when you desire to spread the gospel, this is a work of God. Both to will and to work his good pleasure. This is God. In fact, in Hebrews 13... Hebrews 13 and verse 20, we read this. The writer of Hebrews says, Now may the God of peace who brought, uh, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of, our, of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. We've already talked about the covenant. In verse 21, he says, May this God equip you with everything good that you may do his will. It's God who equips we need to understand this. It's God that grants us, has opened our eyes, God that has given us the truth, God that gives us the faith to believe, the, to, to, to follow Jesus. It's God that equips us. Our prayers should reflect that. Lord, give me, enlarge my heart, Lord, as the Old Testament prophet said. Lord, enlarge my heart. Lord, give me the strength to get through this trial. Lord, give me what I need to do good. In Psalm 51, verse 10, just to show you that even the Old Testament prophets understood, this is King David here in Psalm 51. He said, and remember, this is after he's done some abominable things. No wonder he says this. I know I pray this to myself to, when I'm uh, in my own prayers. He says, Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Create in me a clean heart. And then he continues and says, And renew a right spirit within me. David knew who, who to turn to. David wasn't trying to clean his life up. David said, Lord, you got to do this. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. And uh, I think it's, you know, you might miss this in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, the words of Jesus. And you'll, you'll be familiar with this, but I want you to I want you to reflect on exactly what he says. He says in uh, Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others. He's talking about, look, if you, you've got this light, you, you, you know, when you light a candle, you don't, you don't put it under a basket, do you? No, you put it up so it, it shines, right? So you've got the light. What is the light? The light's the word of God. And he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. So that they may see your good works, and notice this, and give glory to you? No. 
Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Why? Because you are his workmanship. That's why they give glory to the Father who is in heaven when you do good works. Second Corinthians, just a couple more verses. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse eight, we read, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you hear this? God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency, you have what you need in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. Did you hear this? All sufficiency, all things, all times, every good work. God's God's got it covered. Amen? Amen? And and just to... This is the work of your salvation. And just one more verse on the work of your salvation. This is what gives me comfort and it should give you comfort. Here's what Paul says in Romans 5, 9. He says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. God did that, right? Jesus came. He, he humbled himself. He emptied himself. He entered his own creation. He lived the perfect life that we should have lived. And he went to pay a sin debt that he did not owe. This is the plan of the Father. Jesus submitted to the Father and did his will and went and did this. Why? To save us. He saved us. He justified us. By the blood of Jesus. Then he says this. Romans 5, 9, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. In other words, do you think that, oh, he's going to get you saved and then up too bad? No. If he did all that, how much more will he keep you saved until so that you don't experience the wrath of God in the coming judgment? Amen. So, I know it looks like we're losing. I know the world has gone absolutely insane. I mean, I can't believe. the. Res- you know, there was always people that were weird, but the, the leaders are buying into things that are just crazy. But it isn't a surprise to God at all. Not to him. And in all that, you're here. You're not out there. You're here because God has caused you to be born again. He gave you the belief, the faith, the repentance required for salvation. It was a gift. You don't get to boast about it. And he's... God, he, and, this, and this salvation has an inheritance that is waiting on you and it'll never go away. It's being kept for you and your salvation is being guarded by God. How could we not rejoice? 
and the work of our salvation. So we see the work of our salvation. Now I want you to see the worth of our salvation. Verse 6 in 1 Peter 1. The worth of our salvation. He says this in verse 6. In this you rejoice. What Rejoice in what? The fact that God saved us. We didn't want to be saved. We were running. We rejected him. And he came after us. And he opened our hearts. And he saved us. In this you rejoice. Though for now, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, he says. Even when you're, even when things don't look good, even when you're suffering for the cause of Christ, the word rejoice. The word rejoice. Paul Paul writes in Romans 8 verse 16. He says the spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. You want to know your child of God? Look for, uh, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. How do you do that? Well, you look for the fruit of the spirit. Amen. You look for the fruit of the Spirit. You look for the change. You're not practicing sin. You're practicing righteousness, as John talks about. So the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. There's the, we're heirs of that inheritance. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. I don't know what it is that's waiting, but oh boy. But then he says this, verse 17, provided we suffer with him. Provided we suffer with him. You know what that indicates? It indicates, and you could read through the New Testament and see this, there's action on your part if you're a Christian. First, first, uh, there's you could read in James at the end of James 1 God tells us what real religion is he says now here's what real religion isn't he says if you if you think you're religious and you don't bridle your tongue your religion's worthless he says right but then he says pure religion from God is this uh, those that care for the widows and the orphans those that care for people that are truly in need. In that day, if a widow, if a woman lost her husband, that was devastating. There was no social security. Or, or, or if a child went with, uh, didn't have parents, that, it was devastating. So what he's advocating here is you care for people that are truly in need. And you don't just limit it to the orphans and, and widows, by the way. It's people that are truly in need. Isn't that what Second John says? Uh, James two says, you can say you have faith, but if there's a brother or sister in need, and and you, you tell them to to be, go and be warm and be filled without giving them what they need, what good is that? What good is that? So you so there's the aspect of actually living out your faith, but there's also the aspect of not being. James says in uh, in James one at the end, he says also uh, you you not just l- 
caring for those that are in need, but also keeping yourself undefiled from the world. First John says, "Don't." First uh, John chapter two says, "Don't, don't, don't love the world," and it's the system. It's the system. Don't cave to the world. Don't bow the knee to Caesar. It is. When they tell you to uh, to affirm something that is evil, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Will not affirm that. They tell you to do something that is contrary to the word of God, not going to do it. Rather obey men, obey God than men. Amen? And so, if 2 Timothy 2, 2.12, 3.12 that is, Paul writes to Timothy and says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Boy, in that day, that is absolutely for sure. Persecution was great. I want to focus you back in First Peter when he says, uh, though, uh, though now for a little while, verse 6, if necessary you've been grieved by various trials, we may not have the persecution that the Jews here suffered, and they were dispersed. But if I, I can tell you now, we're, we're at the point in this country, if you desire to live a godly life, it, it's not just uh, caring for others and loving your neighbor, but if you stand on the word of God, persecution is coming. And it says this, let me, let me read that whole verse to you. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's today. Evil people have, and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But what the purpose of what Peter is saying here is it, it's, it's a given that you're willing to live the Christian life, not just sit on the sidelines, that you're willing to not bow the knee to Caesar when they're asking you to do something that is contrary to the word of God and also that you're willing to spread the gospel. That's what you're there for, we're here for. Otherwise, we'd be in heaven. But we're here to bring the elect to Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. And when you do that, when you suffer, when, when, when you proclaim the gospel, bad things can happen. In, in 1 Peter 1.7, he says, he says that, that even though you've been very grieved by various trials, uh, uh, he says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, and he puts in a parenthesis, a parenthetical statement here, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire. But he says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The tested genuineness of your faith. So trials and persecutions these, that God allows... And God allowed, there's nothing happened that God doesn't allow. He is, he is sovereign and omniscient and omnipotent. And he, 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 God upholds the universe. 
So these things that happen to you, they're not necessarily punishments. They could be a tested, testing the genuineness of your faith. And the key here is to be found to the result of praise and glory and honor. Of who? Of God. Of, uh, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Who's going to get the praise, glory, and honor? God's going to get the praise, glory, and honor. He did the work. But the point here in verse 6 and verse 7 of Peter is your salvation is worth suffering for. And we don't go out to we don't go out looking suffering, but we're not afraid to live a godly life, which will likely result in some sort of persecution. In fact, James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, notice the word test there again, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast. And in case you don't understand, steadfast means you don't cave, you get through the trial, you lean on God, you don't waver. But God gets you through because you are a work of God. So trials are, are, are tests to show if your faith is genuine. They shouldn't, they, you shouldn't look at a trial and persecution as I'm doing something wrong. As a matter of fact, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, Jesus says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when the others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now, if you're persecuted because you went and did something wrong, that's one thing. But if you're persecuted because you're a Christian, because you name the name of Christ, because you refuse to call good what is evil, because you spread the good news of the gospel, Jesus says, blessed are you. Blessed are you. In fact, he continues and he says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This, this isn't new. This has been happening for a long time. In fact, in the book of Luke, in this, in uh, Jesus, the words of Jesus are recorded just a little bit differently. He says, Blessed are you when people hate you. Luke chapter 6, verse 22. Blessed are people. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man. That's Jesus. Because you're a Christian, blessed are you even when people spurn your name and, and, and revile you and exclude you. You don't get invited. In fact, he says, rejoice in that day, leap for joy. It's not punishment. This is, this is good. Because this is evidence that you're a child of God. And he says, For behold, your reward is great in heaven. So, For so their fathers did 
to the prophets. And I'll remind you of the book of Acts in chapter 5 when the apostles were brought before the council because what were they doing? They were preaching the gospel. They were preaching Jesus. And and, uh, they were brought before the council and the council charged them not to uh, uh, speak. They beat them first and then they charged them, do not speak the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, we read this. The apostles, they left the presence of the council rejoicing. They were rejoicing. Why? That they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. What name? Jesus. They They were rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer dishonor. Your salvation is worth suffering for remember when Paul you know Paul wow Paul Paul uh, received new revelation from God which was eventually pinned into many books of the Bible he he actually went to heaven either in, in 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 a vision or Really? I don't know. He doesn't know. Paul was used greatly by God. And you know what God did to, for the, because of that? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. He said, so to keep me from being conceited, Paul said, to keep me from being conceited, because of the surpassing greatness at the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me. To keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. That it should leave me. Lord, take this away from me, he says. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will burst boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ then I am content with weaknesses with insults with hardships with persecutions and calamities for when I am weak then I am strong in other words when I am totally relying on God that's when I am the strongest Your salvation is worth suffering for. And remember I read you first uh, Philippians 129 where it says, For it's been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It's been granted to you. This is not a punishment. It's a gift. It's a gift. Remember in the book of Hebrews where the people were, were, were exhorted to go visit the Christians in jail. Why are they in jail? Because they're Christian. Christian. 
They're exhorted to go, and, and it says here in Hebrews 10.34, you had compassion on those in prison. You had compassion on those in prison. What does it mean? You went, went to see them. You cared about them. You prayed for them. And when you went to see them, people noticed that you went to see them, which marked you as a Christian. And it says, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. When you were marked as a Christian, those people that marked you went to your house and they took your stuff. And they're, and they're like, joyfully, I accept the plundering of our property. Why? It says why. Since you knew you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. What was that? The inheritance. The promise of God. That inheritance that's not going to go away, that's being kept for us. So their, their whole attitude was different. It isn't about down here. It's about what's in heaven waiting for us. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 13, we read this. But insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, he says. What does that mean, share Christ's sufferings? It means... When you're persecuted because you're a Christian, you share the sufferings of Christ. Maybe you'll be beaten and you'll have the, the marks uh, of Christ. But insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I'm telling you, our salvation is worth the suffering. And I mean this, I mean, I mean to be very clear here, this, there is an expectation that we live out our Christian life. That we spread the gospel even if it costs us. That we don't bow the knee to Caesar when he tells us to do things that are ungodly. Even if it costs us. Our property. Our loved ones. Our lives. It's worth it. And then in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1 8 he says this though you have not seen him you love him why because God poured out his love in your heart and though you do not now see him you believe in him why because God granted you belief and rejoice with joy why because you've got an inheritance in heaven waiting that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we've looked at the one, the work of your salvation is God. It's God did a work in you, and that is precious. And that makes the worth of your salvation, it's, 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 uh, it's worthy of suffering for what, what God has promised for, to us, that inheritance. And the last thing I want you to see here is the wonder, the wonder of our salvation. Verse 10, he says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was yours 
searched and inquired carefully. He's talking about he's talking about the Old Testament prophets that were prophesying of the coming salvation in the new covenant. And it's saying in verse eleven, inquiring what person who was the who was the Messiah going to be, and what time? Well, Daniel. <laughs> I, guess, I don't know if Daniel knew exactly, but Daniel laid it out. The spirit of Christ in them was indicating that he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And then it says this. So here they are. They're writing about the sufferings of Christ. And they're wondering, what, what person? What, when? When? When's this going to happen? And it says in verse 12, it was revealed to them they were not serving themselves, but you. When they, were, when, they were, when they were doing this, when they were prophesying and it was being written down and God preserved his word, that word is for, for us. So we can look back and we can see this is God's plan. It's been his plan all along. And this will give us faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. They were, that word, it's for us. So we don't unhitch from the Old Testament, Mr. Stanley. We, that Old Testament's for us. And he says, they were not serving themselves but you in the things which that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you Those are the apostles. And there are written words that preach to us. By the Holy Spirit sit from heaven. He says. And then he says this. So here's those, here's those prophets going. They're, they're, they're just the wonder of it all. They, they're all the glories that come and everything. There's what? What's? When? What? Who? And then it says things into which angels long to look angels long to look when I, I don't you know we don't know exactly what he's saying but I can speculate with I think a good speculation that if, uh, if you remember it was an angel that guarded the throne of God his name was Lucifer that thought okay I'll be God he thought he'd take God's place and he convinced a third of the angels to come with him. And those are the fallen angels, the demons. But then there was two-thirds of the angels that are still in heaven, being used by God. And it could it be that all of this, and I'm, it's speculation, okay, but could it be that what God does through, you know, in this world and through us, is to display his glory, his first, his justice, because sin in the world will be punished. That means God is a good, just God. Sin must be punished. Amen? But also, he's merciful. And, and for some reason, he chose some 
for salvation, to save them from themselves. And angels are looking at all this, and they're seeing the attributes of God on display. Going, wow, our God is a glorious God. Our creator is merciful. He's just, and he's merciful, and he's good, and he's kind, and he's generous. So there's your wonder of your salvation. There are those, the Old Testament prophets and the angels are going, are looking at this salvation and just in awe of what God is doing. So I've told you about the work of your salvation and the worth of your salvation and the wonder of salvation. I hope I hope that you look at it a little differently. And I hope it causes you to not leave today and just go live life, but to understand what God's done for us and now go out and engage. Get in the battle, get in the race and engage the world no matter what the cost. In the early years of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln, I am told, uh, became so angered at the inactivity of the, his Union commander, George McClellan, that the president wrote his commanding general a, this one-sentence letter. And this is what he wrote. If you don't want to use the army, I should like to borrow it for a while. Respectfully, A. Lincoln. I would hate to think that God would need to write us a one-sentence letter. I don't think he would say it like this, by the way. But, it, I, 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 again, today, this passage should encourage us to know in. Hope is not lost. We have hope. God saved our souls He's sanctifying us. He's changing us. Although we may have to suffer, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. The prophets and the angels will tell you it's worth it. So let's go out and engage the culture. They are, they're insane. They need light. You have the light. Go bring them the light. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for this time. I pray, Lord, that this message has penetrated our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for salvation and for faith and repentance. Lord, thank you for belief. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit and the seal and the guarantee. Thank you, Lord, for the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for giving it your all. Thank you for what you've done for us. I pray, Lord, that our actions will reflect our thanks. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. I would just like to, before you, before you get up and leave, I just want to say this. Because I don't ever want to assume that everybody in here knows Jesus. But the gospel is clear that we're all sinners We've all sinned. We've come short of the glory of God. We cannot be with God in heaven 
based on our good works cannot happen. The reason, the only way to go to heaven is through Jesus. He's the one that lived the perfect life. He went to the cross to pay our sin debt. And if we'll repent of our sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, have faith, follow him, God will pour out his love in your heart through his spirit. He'll put his spirit in you. He'll change your desires. He'll give you new life. He'll give you a new heart. He'll take out that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So I encourage you, if examine yourselves. Do you practice righteousness? Or are you practicing sin? Do you walk in darkness and say you're in the light? Like 1 John says, I would encourage you, encourage you to get on your knees and cry out before a holy God. 